Today is March 10th. On this day in history, March 10th, 1937, English historian Arnold J. Toynbee wrote the following, and I quote, In this really very brief period of less than 2,000 years, Christianity has, in fact, produced greater spiritual effects in the world than have been produced in a comparable space of time by any other spiritual movement that we know of in history, end quote. Toynbee's remarks that Christianity has produced greater spiritual effects in the world than have been produced in a comparable space of time by any other spiritual movement that we know of in history is simply a statement of affirming the global influence of Christianity. This influence of Christianity, as observed by Toynbee, raises a vital question in our own day. With secularism increasing in the West, should Christians hold an optimistic view of the influence of Christianity on the world or a pessimistic view. Interestingly, Toynbee also said, and I quote, I confidently predict Christianity will be a spiritual force long after our civilization has passed away, end quote. Now, some critics of Toynbee point out that after 1960, this great historian of the first half of the 20th century is all but missing in the quotations of other historians. Why is this? Well, because many of these historians claim that Toynbee approached history with a Christian worldview, and the thinking goes that to hold to a Christian worldview renders one unable to objectively judge history. Never mind Toynbee's credentials. He was acclaimed as the most noted and most scholarly historian of his own era. But these critics suggest that Toynbee was too influenced by myths, allegories, and religion over factual data. He was, they said, more of a Christian moralist than a historian. So much for objective judgments. Toynbee published his seminal work in 1934 entitled A Study of History. This British author immediately became recognized in the Academy. In the U.S. alone, his multi-volume edition of history sold 7,000 copies by 1955. Toynbee traveled conducting countless seminars, and most scholars viewed his work as one of the most important in several generations. Toynbee was on the cover of Time magazine in 1947, for example, where the cover story spoke of his work as the most provocative work of historical theory written in England since Karl Marx's Capital. Now that's an interesting statement given the cleavage between Toynbee's view of history and Marx's view. Marx did not view history with a Christian lens, but an atheistic one. He said, and I quote, Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. Marx went on to say, It is the opium of the people, religion that is, and the abolition of religion is the demand for real happiness. Now, Marx saw religion as a form of protest by the working classes against their condition and their perceived alienation. Religion was used to exploit people. That was one of his premier hypotheses. Now, in comparing Marx to Toynbee, we are not saying that Toynbee was a Christian. In an interview, Toynbee admitted his gravitation toward the spiritual, even stating that a religious revival would be the only thing to save the West. But his ideas of religious revival did not involve Orthodox Christian or even Orthodox Jewish views. Rather, he envisioned a pluralistic blurring of distinctives to bring religious unity. So again, he was anything but Christian. Nevertheless, his background provided him with a Christian worldview, and he admitted that for sentimental reasons, he gravitated toward ideas inherent in Christianity over other religions in the world. 
Thus, his statement promoting Christianity is having the most influence on the world over every other religion. This is what he really believed. For Toynbee, history proved that a higher being existed. In fact, Toynbee believed that this higher power is what motivates purpose and meaning in life, and what ultimately gives rise to civilizations. For Toynbee, history proved that a higher being existed. In fact, he believed that this higher power is what motivates purpose and meaning in life, and what ultimately gives rise to civilizations. His theory of history can be summed up as a challenge and response philosophy. This philosophy simply asserts that civilizations arose in response to some set of challenges of extreme difficulty, when creative minorities, as he called them, devised solutions that reoriented their entire society. The challenges and responses could be physical, they could be social, or they could be religious. But when a civilization responded to challenges, it grew. On the other hand, civilizations disintegrated when their leaders stopped responding creatively. And the civilizations then sank, owing to a nationalism, militarism, and the tyranny of a despotic minority. Toynbee believed that societies always die from suicide or murder rather than from natural causes, and nearly always from suicide. He saw the growth and decline of civilizations as a spiritual process, writing that, and I quote, man achieves civilization not as a result of superior biological endowment or geographical environment, but as a response to a challenge and a situation of special difficulty which rouses him to make an hitherto unprecedented effort." End quote. Now there is some value in his analysis. Civilizations often die by suicide. The Roman Empire is a perfect example of a society that crumbled within. Their decadence destroyed them from within. Now as Christians in the West, we are faced with the growth of secularism. Secularism possesses an eschatology, though a different one from Christianity. Christians may hold different views of the end times, but all Christians hold to one simple principle regarding history. It has a beginning, and it has an end. We would say that history is linear. This does not mean that there are not cyclical events that reoccur over time. History does involve a degree of repetition, or a reoccurring cycle of similar events. But as Christians, we don't want to get lost in the trees. The bird's eye view tells Christians that we are heading to an end where Christ rules and the knowledge of him fills the whole world, to borrow the language of Habakkuk 2 and verse 14. In other words, we have a road map and we are on our way to our final destination. Nothing can stop this, not secularism or any other false ideology that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. A linear view of history, according to Jean Edward Weith, has only been consistently held by Jews and Christians. But Weith also argues that in an ironic twist, secularism may be a new religion that serves as an exception. Secularists are linear in their thinking as well, according to Weith, if though only accidentally. The eschatology of the secularist, or the endgame of the secularist, is simply this to get rid of God entirely. Weith goes on to say that new worldviews are rejecting the kingdom of God and in its place are putting a kingdom of man. He says, and I quote, the past was a time of darkness. In the modern world, the light has dawned. In this age of progress, things are getting better and better until eventually we will build a utopian paradise. 
not that we will arrive there without tribulation. The French Revolution taught that the reign of terror was necessary to destroy the old order, whereupon the people's paradise would emerge. Darwinianism, which put a scientific veneer to the myth of progress, taught that we have evolved and will continue to evolve to a higher state, but not without a struggle in which the unfit will die out and only the fittest will survive. Marxism was outright dispensational, dividing history into different socio-economic eras that will end after a bloody revolution in a quote-unquote workers' paradise. Other utopians thought that the earthly paradise could be achieved peacefully. One group of early Marxists founded the movement known as Social Democracy, which today is very influential politically in Europe and more recently in the United States, an ideology that believes Marx's workers' paradise can be achieved through the ballot box and gradual social change." End quote. But the influence of Christianity upon the world can be seen in how time itself is gauged, beginning in the West and now common throughout the world. The numbering of each year from the time of Christ as B.C., that is before Christ, or A.D., the year of our Lord. Secularists have changed these to B.C.E., before the Common Era, and C.E., Common Era. But even with this change, Christ is still the reference point. Secularism cannot escape the rule of Christ no matter how hard they may try. Secularism cannot escape the fact of history. And that fact is that Christ came into the world, he died upon the cross, he rose again three days later, and ascended to the right hand of God. But secularism continues to fight Christianity. As one author has defined secularism, he says that secularism is an ideology that promotes the absence of any binding theistic authority or belief. It's a way of viewing the world that recognizes only the here and now. Whether the spiritual world exists isn't a concern for secularism. Secularism says we may as well live as if it doesn't. Secularism, in contrast to the strong atheism of certain ideologies, such as the new atheism or communism, is a more subtle form of atheism. It doesn't always demand that we declare there is no God, and here is where we need to pay attention. It simply implies that God isn't relevant to the discussion, ever. And in its most pernicious strands, secularism even implies that God is destructive to society." End quote. We see this all around the world today. But I want you to know that secularism will not destroy true Christianity. It can't. God promises that his word will not return to him void. Christ promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now this doesn't mean Christians won't be persecuted by secularists. We are and we will continue to be persecuted. Jesus promised persecution. To be sure, secularism cannot destroy true Christianity, and that's the point. It is destroying nominal Christianity, but all of this is a testimony to Christ's rule over all vain philosophies and ideologies of the world. It is a testament to the power of Christ. There is no way for us to know the specifics of the future of the West, and particularly the United States. But one thing is for certain, our hope is not in this world as secularism would have us brainwashed to think. Scripture shows us that someday Christ will return in bright glory to consummate his kingdom here on earth. Christ will bring heaven to earth according to Revelation 21 too. But until that day, we need to root for the self-destruction of secularism and we need to believe that it will destroy itself because secularism offers no hope. Only the gospel offers true hope.
And as the church, we must faithfully declare the gospel with bold optimism. We must learn to have the same hope the psalmist did when he said in Psalm 130 and verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Toynbee did not get everything right, but I think he was right when he spoke about the great influence of Christianity over the world. Christianity will triumph because God through Christ triumphed over the grave. He ascended and is ruling at the right hand of God. His gospel will continue to spread until he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You've been listening to a podcast of Today in Church History. To access more of these podcasts, you can visit Apple iTunes. Simply search for Today in Church History. Remember that history is spelled H-I-S hyphen S-T-O-R-Y. To access more podcasts, articles, and sermons, you can visit my website, www.pastorandrewsmith.com. Until next time, this is Andrew Smith.